My name's Tom Langston, and welcome to another episode of the Telltales podcast. In this episode, I talk to Sarah Charman, the Programme Area Leader for Distance Learning Undergraduate Degrees within the Institute of Criminal Justice Studies at the University of Portsmouth, and Joe Fairwood, an Administrator for the programme. Joe and Sarah have worked hard to produce a community for their students using a range of tools from simple graphics to live stream video shows that answer questions and engage their students. With the original distance learning packages being large paper-based documents, I asked Sarah how they had taken it from the old method of delivery to a new digital environment. Well, I suppose we've harnessed all the, hopefully, all the latest technological developments so that we've used them to our best advantage, really. Um, We started off by moving our distance learning hard copy materials, as you say, giant folders that used to plop through people's doors in the morning. Uh, We've moved from that to an online delivery method so that our students are looking at everything via our virtual learning environment, Moodle, which is great. Um, And that was quite a job for us um, over the years, getting all of that material online obviously marking all the submissions online as well but I think there's a mistake in thinking that that is distance learning completed Um, that you've got your materials students have got access to the materials it's all online they can can submit their essays online job done and I think what you've got to remember with distance learning students is that you also need to engage with them and communicate with them and get them to engage with, with each other and I think that's what the distance learning team at ICGS have tried to do over the years is just to get students to communicate with us and we've tried to use different ways of doing that over the years so that they feel a little more at home and a little more comfortable in doing their distance learning studies. The team within ICGS have for several years provided an on-campus induction for those distance learning students that can make it, creating that sense of community both on and offline from the beginning. I wondered if Sarah thought that having this community early on was important for their studies. Yeah, I think it's really important that they get to know each other and we do try to encourage our students, if they can, to come to our two-day induction which we run at the beginning of the academic year. Um, But we also don't want to disadvantage those students who can't come along to those events. And I think that was one reason why we started experimenting with maybe recording some of the sessions and posting those videos online for students to watch um, because we didn't want to disadvantage them. But what we also know, and I think what research shows, is that for students at home, sitting and watching an hour-long lecture with a static lecture at the front of the room is not particularly easy to watch Um, and I think most of the research would suggest that shorter chunks would work much better. Um, So it was thinking about that that I think got us started thinking about different ways that we could uh, deliver the induction experience and our study day experience to students who couldn't make it onto campus Um, and that's where the idea started to turn ourselves into a mass live broadcaster. (laughs) Joe is laughing now, <laughs> and for good reason, because uh, Joe is our course administrator, as you know, and I walked into the office one morning, having had a fabulous idea overnight, that it would be great if we could become a live broadcaster uh, and have a sort of magazine-type show. I was thinking Phil and Holly on the sofa of this morning and thinking, well, that shouldn't be too difficult, We've got members of staff that can sit on the sofa and have chats about things. We could then cut to some pre-recorded sessions. So I went into Joe and said, I've had this really good idea. Uh, Can I leave it with you? And uh, I'll come back. And I've thought about a date and I've let the students know. And um, over to you. And I went, you what? (laughs) You've done what? (laughs) And Joe will now tell you what she thought about that fabulous idea. I don't think I can say what I thought about that. 
We'd already like used a lot of equipment already doing live streaming and recording ad induction. So we had some of the equipment. Most of it was done on an iPad, which wasn't brilliant. We had some wireless microphone, which required lots of power cables and it wasn't very portable. And then to go to do a virtual study day, proper broadcasting, that was a bit of a scary thing. Um, but we Googled a bit, had a bit of help from some other people and came up with an idea. Found a camera, which could be connected to Wi-Fi. Actually, that took a lot of IT help from um, IS and you guys trying to get that to work because it wouldn't connect to our Wi-Fi. Eventually, we got it to connect and we went from there. So we made a little studio in St. George's building. Um, we bought a mixing desk, bought some wireless microphones and set up and... Borrowed a pot plant. Oh yeah, pot plant or two. And away we went. It was quite scary, but I think everything went quite well on the first one. It went really... I mean, it wasn't perfect, but... No. But I don't think we needed it to be perfect, did we? We, we needed to have an event that students could watch from home. The bit that I thought was fabulous is that they could interact from home as well. So they could ask questions um, of, the, of, the, of the people presenting, mm. which was great. So they could feel as though they were interacting in the day as well. And... I think if you were watching it at home, you would think that it was quite seamless. I think if you were watching it from my view on the sofa, where we'd got people holding up a card with three minutes to go on it, you'd think it was maybe a little bit rough around the edges. But it worked, and it worked for our purposes, which was to engage students, to make them feel part of us, part of the University of Portsmouth, to feel like a student, mm. to get the experience, which is what we really wanted, experience of seeing something live, seeing a lecture, seeing a session, seeing two academics sitting on the sofa talking about current issues in policing. You know, seeing a discussion about how to write a better essay. You're seeing our colleagues from the Academic Skills Unit building things out of Lego. And the librarian with her penguin. <laughs> our librarian with her penguin. Yeah. Just making it all seem a little bit less remote, a little bit less formal, and seeing that they are part of something and they could interact with something. And we got some really good questions from students on the day who were able to, via live stream, ask questions of us that we could then mm. answer live on yeah, TV. so we use a company called Livestream.com um, and they've got their own platform, which we did stream to a couple of years ago. Um, but since then, they've joined up with Facebook and YouTube and other platforms and you can stream directly to YouTube. So we now stream to our YouTube channel and everything's stored there. So students can watch it afterwards. They can have a look at the chat afterwards. I was curious how going from the Livestream phone app, they had scaled up to being a small broadcast studio. We have their software, their live stream studio software, which you need um, if you want to do the broadcasting thing. And it took quite a lot of research into finding the correct cables, the correct mixing desk that will work with the camera, yeah. and the wireless microphones that were good enough quality so as not to have any like, noise in the background. And eventually we got there. And then you pre-recorded some videos, popped those in the media um, section of it, so you can cut between live then go to the pre-recorded. And the camera that we've got, it's called a Mevo camera, it's made by Livestream. And it's a one camera, but you can have nine different shots and you control it through an iPad. So you can set up 
um, you can point it at one person and then another angle be pointed at another person. You can have a full room picture and then you click between the shots on the iPad. And it's just brilliant. So it looks like you've got quite a sophisticated camera yeah. setup, doesn't it? Because you can cut from one view to another mm. view, which is great if someone's focus if you want to focus on a particular person mm. or if you want to look at the whole room. But actually you can just do that with the tap of your finger, can't you? Yes. Yeah. As long as your finger's not too sweaty from nerves. <laughs> with the camera they used being quite advanced, allowing for that broadcast feel of a multi-camera shot, I wanted to know if they'd thought about expanding the project. I don't know if we've got a budget to scale it up. That's I don't know that we need to. I don't. I know that some people think, well, it's got to look incredibly polished, it's got to be perfect, and I'm not sure it does. I think it does the job that we want it to do, which is to engage with our students and to interact with our students and to show them who we are. And I think if it looked too professional, it might scare them off a little bit. I mm. think they just realise that we're just real people trying to put something on for them yeah. um, in the best way we can. And that's what we're trying to do, is make higher education seem a little bit less formal and a little bit less nerve-wracking. Because our students in particular, uh, many of them have had poor experiences of school, uh, poor experiences of education. They're incredibly nervous about coming back to university or coming to university um, because of those reasons, because they think uh, they've got a huge lack of confidence. And so actually it's just about showing the warmth of the staff the engagement of the staff, that's what, we're, that's what we're interested in. So it doesn't need to be perfect. And I should probably also point out that, that Jo wasn't an expert in any of this when she started. Still so, not. <laughs> but you've you, yourself taught now through the help mm. of, of Google. Yeah. Um, and so it's not impossible. I think, you know, sometimes when you hear people using words and, you know, Jo used to talk to me about graphic overlays, I think, what on earth is she talking about? But you don't need, you know, you, ca you can learn some of these tricks. I along the way and it's trial and error a lot of it I mean we tried out loads of things and it didn't work and then you'd send it back and then mm. get a new piece of kit arriving I think as long as you're interested in it then you can get you can do whatever you want really if you've got a good interest you go out there you can find out you can research it takes quite a lot of time mm. hopefully someone will give you a bit of money to buy some stuff and yeah. then but we probably only had it. a budget of about 500 pounds I think didn't we yeah we didn't spend very much at all which isn't bad that's very good hmm with the project being run on a tight budget, I asked if there was anything they wish they could change. I think, for your sake, Joe, I think I would like it to be a little bit more reliable. Yes. <laughs> because we do get that moment of panic where the, the little button on the top of the camera goes red and you realise that you've got people all over the place watching this and suddenly the link's gone. And I don't think Phil and Holly have to worry about that. So that would be nice if we didn't, if it was slightly more reliable. Mm. Um, but I don't think, you know, you're talking about upscaling, I don't think we'd want to do that necessarily. I think it would be nice if, if we could have a purpose-built studio, if there's somewhere we could just go to and it was all set up and ready to go and we could just click a button. Yeah, that would be great if it was already there. Yeah, definitely. But I think what we're doing for the students is what, is what they want from us. So how many students are viewing these live broadcasts? Not as many as we'd like, to be honest. And I don't know if that's slightly put off by the fact that in the past they've had to register an account. Um, and so they haven't been able to just click and watch. So hopefully as things get easier and now we can go directly to mm. YouTube, it might be easier. But if they want to interact, they still have to um, set up an account. So it can. I'd like it for them to be just a matter of clicking on a link and they can go directly to watching yeah. us. It could also be the time of day. You're doing the week at 10 o'clock in the morning, people are at work, but they can watch it back afterwards. So I think a lot of people do. Um, and now it's on YouTube, you can see how many people have viewed it. 
Um, so hopefully we'll get more people watching it. And that's the beauty of some of those sessions is that it can be split into chunks. We've got lots of 10-minute sessions, how to write a dissertation, how to write a better essay, and those can then be used for other purposes. So it's, it's not, you don't need people to be watching live. It's an added bonus if students want to and they want to interact. But we've actually got those resources that we can then use for other parts of our delivery. Mm. The ones who have interacted, though, they've said it's just been brilliant. Mm. They've watched the whole thing and they've really enjoyed it and they've got a lot out of it. With the system being a little unreliable, how unreliable do they find it? It's not that bad. When we first got it, it was quite bad. It's because it was a new product made by Livestream. It was a, no one had ever bought it before. We bought it in a pre-order thing, mm. got some money off, and we thought we'll just give it a go. When we got it, it didn't work with um, EduRome, so we had to connect through an IP address and plug it into the wall, and it was, it was quite tricky. And then when we were live streaming, I think the two sessions we did, it decided to cut out mm. halfway through. And we're like, we're off the air. <laughs> Everyone panic. So like, don't panic. And then it eventually came back on after about five minutes, mm. wasn't it? And you have to say, oh, sorry, everyone. Little blip. But... And I guess the nice bit is that on that smaller scale, people are more likely to forgive mm. that oh. little blip. Yes. As opposed to ITV going down. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it's, you know, it's not in the middle of the World Cup final or anything. No. So it's not, and we stop, you know, we don't carry on talking. So we will stop. And then when it's fixed again, we'll start again. So the students aren't missing anything. But it's more reliable now because um, the company that made it have made it so it does connect to networks like EduRome. With Joe and Sarah being early pioneers of the live stream camera system, did they feel they were able to feed back to Livestream and help shape the product for the HE market? Well, initially they marketed it as, as a thing for lecturing and things like that for universities. But most universities have EduRome, so there must have been a lot of people mm. getting in touch saying, it's not working. And Livestream are delighted by the fact that Jo's in touch most days to <laughs> offer her feedback <laughs> on where things are going wrong. <laughs> and that mostly they've been quite responsive, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they've been very good. They've also they've got um, Facebook customer groups for the studio fee, um, software we use and for the camera. And people are posting all the time on there with queries and mm. helpful answers. I'm always on there checking things out and which bits of equipment work with it, which bits don't work with it. It's it's really good. I mean, it's probably, would you say, Joe, it's easier now than it was two years ago if you wanted to set this up from scratch? Yes. Yeah, definitely. There's far more stuff out there to, that's compatible with it. Mm. And it doesn't have the same connection issues yeah. that it used to have. For an academic starting to run a distance learning course, maybe for the first time, I asked Sarah what advice she might offer. I would say start small. You know, don't go into your course administrator and say, I think yeah. we're going to do a live broadcast for a morning. They'll faint. <laughs> start small. You know, if you can get yourself some sort of a camera or an iPad, do a small, do this sort of thing, do a podcast for your students. Do a five-minute video, just a static video, and give that a go and upload that for your students. Get some feedback from the students about what they like and what they'd like to see. And we do know that students like things to be a little bit more visual. They don't want to be reading all of the text online. Um, but just start slow and build up from there, which is, I think is what we did. I mean, we've concentrated today mostly about talking about live stream, but we didn't go straight into no. live stream. We'd done a lot of smaller, less uh, challenging things in the past. With the advice to start small, I wondered what was Sarah's first steps into a digital distance learning programme? I think probably it just started with 
um, illustrations and graphs and pictures on the Moodle materials that we would offer students. So it started really, really small. And then we thought about adding in perhaps some um, multimedia from Boxer Broadcasts. So we'd do some television programmes. We might put in some radio programmes, some podcasts. And then we started to do small videos that we would film of ourselves. Um, or we would uh, record events, so a short session, never an hour video, but you know something a bit shorter. Um, and then we did other things for students as well, like we we started doing the advent calendar that we would launch every year, so that students would have a, a short video, um, and we did tips for students throughout December of what they you know what would be useful for them. So we started to to just use cameras a little bit more, I think, around the department. And I think for academic staff, it's about just trying. I know it's difficult, but just trying to feel a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's good to be off the cuff and just to chat. Sometimes if you want something a bit more formal and structured, then it's absolutely okay to use auto cue. Um, you know, and as a lecturer, you shouldn't feel that that's, you know, that, that you're failing because you're reading something off a screen. This is not the same delivery as standing up in front of students live in a room. Um, so I think confidence in front of the camera, I think, is one thing. And once you get used to it, the camera being on you, it does make it easier. With this being a collaborative, forward-thinking approach to developing content, I asked what the engagement from other academics had been like. It's been, uh, it's been a challenge with some members of staff, and I can fully understand that they feel uncomfortable, um, particularly when it's live, and there have been a lot of nerves. Um, but from my perspective, all of the staff that we've had doing this have been brilliant. And what we find is that once they've done it once, they come to the end of it and they say, actually, that was, that yeah. was quite fun. Really <laughs> and they're happy it. to do it again. With all the problems they might have had along the way, I wondered if Sarah would recommend this to others. I would just say go for it. You know, it, I keep saying this, but it doesn't have to be shiny and polished. Go for it. I think your students will appreciate it. I think they'll appreciate the effort. They will appreciate seeing you. Um, and we, you know, we've got to remember that, yes, we're delivering higher education. So there's the delivery side of it. Um, there's the enhancement side of it as well through the additional resources that you can add to sites. But engagement is such a crucial part of um, delivering material to distance learning students. Just give it a go, engage with them, find out what they like and what they don't like, and just work with the students to make things better for everyone. I don't think it matters if it goes wrong, because you just give it a go. And I mean, the vice chancellor said, if you don't try something, you'll never know. So you may as well just go for it. I asked Jo how she stayed focused, when she might have felt like giving up, when things might not feel like they're going to work. Well, I think, well, I think you can, can tell, tell what won't, won't work, work if, if I mean, I mean I don't know how to put it. You, you can, can kind of just tell. tell. If something's really not going to work, going to work you'll know it's not going to work. But if you think that actually maybe you can, maybe you can get something off the ground, a bit of research, research, a bit of help, reaching out to different departments. departments. Um, and like I said before, if you're interested, then you will keep going. If you haven't got the interest, maybe you find somebody who does have the interest to help you and... Maybe that would work better. And we have to keep moving, you know, as, as an organisation, we can't keep thinking that we can deliver things the way that we might like to deliver them. And it's not that's not just for distance learning students, that's for younger campus-based students as well. You know, people engage with material in different ways. People want to experience education in different ways. And we can't stand still. Finally, I asked if they felt that the mix of ages on a distance learning course affected how the students bought into the new content production and digital resources. This year, our intake this year, they've been more engaged than any other intake. So I think people are coming to grips with technology more. Mm. Um, even the more mature students the, and the younger ones, everyone's getting engaged. I think sometimes there's a perception, isn't there, that 
that's different ways of learning and innovations in learning and social media are for younger people but actually I think it's infiltrated all ages now and you know for the good in terms of the way that we deliver education. So please do check out telltales.port.ac.uk and follow us on Twitter at tellportsmouth. You can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. The music for this episode is called Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod and all copyright information can be found within our show notes.